Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served, me with, in, served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thank you, Andrew. And Will, now let's pray as we come to Philippians once again. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this uh, wonderful letter full of life, full of uh, joy, full of reality, and full of good, good, clear teaching as to what a local church is to be like. We want to be like the church in Philippi, for that's normal. Uh, help us to listen well and to put it into practice what we teach. And we pray that uh, all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, Philippians is a letter written to a local church. In other words, a church like uh, Chalmers. And it's a letter written to everyone in that church. The Apostle Paul, the writer of the letter, really does mean everyone. It's not just a kind of throwaway statement. He keeps emphasizing all of you, each of you, every one of you, you, you as well. Now, the key verses in the letter where Paul explains his purpose in writing are 127 to 30. If you've got a Bible, let's look again at these verses to give us a context. 127 to 30. Paul writes, only let your manner of life, he's writing to a local church, so listen to this as a local church in Chalmers, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and here's what a local church is to be like, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That's the burden or purpose of the letter. That's why he writes it. To let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me apply that. Let your manner of life, Chalmers, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? What is a manner of life for a church that is worthy of the gospel? The answer to that is that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And a key note in the letter is unity. One spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, Chalmers has three services on a Sunday, 9, 15, 11, 15, 6, 30. 9, 30, 11, 15, 6, 30. There's a lot of people, maybe around 350 to 400 people. And Paul is saying to us, even when we don't see all these different people or know them all really well, you are to be of one mind, one spirit striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So it's quite a big ask. Now, in Chalmers, our vision statement is reaching, building, training, sending, passionate for the glory of God. Let me just say, flex that with Paul's language here in Philippians. Standing one, firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side to reach, build, train, and send, passionate for God's glory. Underpinning our vision statement are three convictions. One about the simple gospel, that Jesus died for our sins. Another about the Bible, that it's the Word of God. So we teach it, listen to it, and obey it. A third about prayer, that in all things we are dependent on God. So standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, in these convictions about the gospel, the Bible, and prayer. Now, you see the difference it makes. If we are right in expressing the faith of the gospel as reaching, building, training, and sending, with clear convictions about the gospel, the Bible, and prayer, if that's uh, not off the mark, and we'll put that to one side, and let's just assume it is what the New Testament teaches, reach, build, train, send, simple gospel, Bible, and prayer, what a difference it makes. It does make, and it will make, if we are, with respect to all of that, the faith of the gospel, so defined, of one spirit, of one mind, striving side by side. It makes a difference. It makes such a difference. It makes all of the difference. For a church living in that way is worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that church, living in that way, will experience opposition, suffering, and difficulties. That's all over this letter. If you were here this morning, 
Jay was preaching on the Christian life. Listen to that. Talks, helpful. The Christian life means taking up our cross, suffering like Jesus for the advance of the gospel. We shouldn't hear that primarily individually as much as we hear it corporately to a local church. It's not optional, it's normal, it is to be expected. Now just pause there, a church that is united, one mind, one spirit, one heart, for the faith of the gospel, when it's clear what the faith of the gospel is, say Reachville, Train, Send, Bible, Gospel, Prayer, then that church will be proactive and progressive for the gospel, but it will experience difficulties. That's inevitable. If a church is not united, not of one mind, not clear as to what its priorities are, biblical priorities, then it will not be pushing out and pushing forward with the gospel, and therefore will not experience opposition and conflict and difficulties. So it's a big choice to make as a church. Are we for what Paul describes in this letter? Contending side by side for the faith of the gospel in this city and in this country and in this time in history. Well, we are. And this letter encourages us to keep on. Now, if chapter 1 verses 27 to 30 are the key verses in the letter, let me throw out some questions with respect to them. Have we taken them to heart? I think so. I pray so. Do the verses describe us as a church? Do you feel personally embraced by them? Do you feel when Paul writes about one spirit, one heart, one mind, striving side by side, you are encompassed by that or on the edges of that? If you're new to Chalmers, the invitation of God's Word is to be part of that. That's what a local church is. Now, Paul does not engage in exhortation. He does, but not without explanation and persuasion. What he wants to do is to teach us how this happens in the life of a church. How will we be, how will we become more a church that stands firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side? The answer is chapter 2. How do we do it? The answer is, if we have the mindset of Christ, or by having the mindset of Christ, that each of us has the mindset of Christ. If you have the mindset of Christ, you and you and me, all of us, we've got to kind of oscillate in this letter between hearing this to us as individuals, but never devoid of our place in the local church. It's to us with respect to the others around us. If we have the mindset of Christ and put it into practice, then we will be contributing positively to the oneness 
of the church to the united purpose that Paul values so highly, sees in the church in Philippi, and encourages them to be like more and more because of the gospel fruitfulness that comes from that. So in the end of the day, it's about me and it's about you and about the people who come to the other services. It's about all of us. If you have the mindset of Christ and you put it into practice, you let it realize in your life, then you will be a contributor positively to the unity and purpose of the local church where you belong. Now, don't hear any of this. I was thinking about this this afternoon. Don't hear any of this as a kind of, here are the 10 points you must sign up to. This is the Lord Jesus speaking through his apostles, teaching us what a local church is. What it means for a local church to be a, a community that, we'll get to this, shines like stars. So what is the mindset of Christ and do I have it? Now that's the first point on the service sheet. I should have had four points, but uh, we've got to hand them in on Friday lunchtime. Point number one. And notice these words are really carefully chosen. You all have, if you're a Christian, the mindset of Christ. You all have the mindset of Christ, which is sacrificial service for the sake of others in the gospel. That's Paul, the writer's focus in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Now, we looked at these verses last week. I said we come back to them again this week, and here we are. Every Christian, if you are a Christian, you have the mindset of Christ. You cannot have the mindset of Christ if you are not a Christian. Just uh, simply expressed, you cannot be a Christian if you're not a Christian. You cannot have the mindset of Christ if you are not a Christian. When you become a Christian, you are given, as a gift of grace, the mindset of Christ. It is supernatural. It is the Spirit of Jesus living in you. Paul makes that clear. Just look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit. Paul is saying that we participate in the Spirit of Christ. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not be like Jesus in the sense of making your life like His. You are in Christ Jesus, so you are in, you are like Him. His Spirit indwells you. We shouldn't speak, unless we are careful how it is heard, about Christ being our example, as if he were out there and over there. Christ is in here and in here. He indwells us by his Spirit. The Spirit of Christ does not hover around a building. The Spirit of Christ indwells Christians. Let me give you an illustration. Cristiano Ronaldo is a top footballer. Now, this illustration is watertight and cannot be disagreed with. He has just returned to the Theatre of Dreams, Old Trafford, 
Manchester United and Match of the Day. Chalmers has its own theatre of dreams, Peppermill, on a Monday night, where 30 folks turn up and play football. Imagine if Cristiano Ronaldo pitched up tomorrow night and gave everyone a pep talk before the game. The quality of football would improve, no doubt. But even better, imagine if Cristiano got his boots on and actually played on the team. His very presence on the team, the, the pithy comments, the encouragement, don't do that, do this, watch me, offering coaching tips would improve the quality of the football even more. But then imagine this, the unthinkable. If somehow Cristiano Ronaldo merged with, for example, Jay Parsons, what a thought. And they became one person. You were still looking at Jay, but he was playing like Ronaldo. Now, that's a, it's an accurate illustration, so bear with me. The Christian life is not having Jesus on the sidelines. The Christian life is not having Jesus giving a pet talk from his word every week. The Christian life is not Jesus explaining the tactics of the game. It's not even having Jesus on the team present in some vague, supernatural way. The Christian life is having, not like having, it's having the living Christ in us by His Spirit, His person indwelling me. Now, that just raises the stakes, and it raises the possibilities, and it raises your affections for Him, and it should raise your excitement of what is possible as a Christian. If you are a Christian, you have the mindset of Christ, because Christ indwells you. You think like Jesus. Now, you're going to say, no, I don't. I'm going to say, yes, you fundamentally do. There's a sinful body that battles with your spiritual soul, but Christ has the, the bridge of the ship, as it were, of your life. He is in control of your inner central being. Your mind is fundamentally His. You think like Him, you act like Him, you feel like Him, your emotions are affected like Him. Why do we share our faith? Why do we evangelize? Out of obedience? Yes, but because Christ does it. It's habitual, it's natural, it's our habitat. Why do we serve others? Because Jesus does it like that. It's not an example. It's in us. Now, I find that thrilling and exciting and wonderful and fearful all at the same time. What is the mindset then? The mindset, chapter 2, verses 3 and following, is this. This is what is in you. This is the mindset of Christ. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Remember, this is talking about the life and atmosphere inside a church. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, no rivalry and conceit in charmers. In humility count others, those next to you, more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind which is yours in Christ, 
And then we get the example, the inspiration of, uh, of Christ. But remember, Jesus' mindset of sacrificial service for the sake of others is your mindset. It's not be like this and look at Jesus. It's all meshed together. It's he is like this and you are like this because his risen presence lives in you by his spirit. So sacrificial service for the sake of others, looking to the interests of others, looking horizontally within a church to the interests of others, serving not just yourself but them, is natural to us as Christians. If you're not a Christian, it's not in the same way. But if you're a Christian, it's natural. Now, I'm not going to be tempted to say it should be. It is. It is. It is natural. Sacrificial service for the sake of others and the gospel. Now, that's the mindset as you put it into practice in church life looking not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Keep thinking about those around you. It's that mindset lived out by people all through a church, all through a church, that builds that church up so that it stands firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the church is holding out the gospel. It's pushing on with the gospel. It's defending the gospel in the culture, in the generation it is in, in the city or the town is it in. And what's going on inside the church is the people inside the church are not looking to their own interests simply, but to the interests of others, serving and loving one another. Now that's exciting. It's what a church can be like. It is what Chalmers is like. What's also exciting is that every single one of us has a part to play in making that happen. Now, Paul gets really practical. Um, so let's follow him, verses 12 to 18. These verses are about putting this mindset into practice in our lives in the church. It's almost as if Paul has a sense of humor. I don't know if he did have a sense of humor. I don't think he really did. And after this magnificent picture of the humility and exaltation of Jesus in verses 5 to 11, he gets our feet back on the ground and he says, cut out the grumbling. It's quite striking, isn't it? And how real is that? One or two of you are nodding with your eyes. You know, I'm learning how to read your minds with face masks on. And you're kind of giving me the impression that's absolutely on the money. <laughs> Put this mindset into practice in your lives. Verses 12 to 18. Read with me, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work out his good pleasure. The key phrase, I think, is work out your salvation. In the context of the letter, that means put this mindset, this mindset of Christ, into practice in your lives. Work it out in your lives. Now, Paul has made it quite clear, and I'm going to have to keep emphasizing this, that this mindset is something you have as a Christian, but it's not always something that comes out in your life. We have the mindset, 
but we can fill our minds with other things. We can hinder the mindset of Christ. We can block it. We can hinder it with sin. We can hinder it with simple, sinful obedience. Notice Paul's emphasis on obedience, as you have always obeyed, so now. Now, how do we have to obey to be who we are? Seems a contradiction in terms. Well, that's how it is in the Christian life. We are who we are, and yet we are to obey. Because who we are in Christ battles with our sinful nature, which remains. I find obedience quite helpful and quite practical and quite easy to understand, albeit hard to do. Now, Paul is speaking to a church, to people in the church, who have been living out this mindset, but he encourages them to do so more and more. Likewise, we need the encouragement that the mindset of Christ has and does characterize our lives. It does characterize our lives in the church. But we also benefit from the exhortation to keep on living this way as a matter of obedience. And to do so not because Paul tells us, or in the case of the Philippians, when he is with them in person. Paul says, I want you to do it when I'm not there. I want you to do it because of your relationship with Jesus. Christians need to work out, to work hard at getting this mindset out through their lives that they have in Christ. They need to go to the spiritual gym. Now, Jay, this morning, sorry, Jay, I've mentioned you twice tonight. I don't know why. You were talking about lockdown tummies. Some, someone in the church suggested afterwards that was he speaking about me? He actually said that to me. And I said, no, it was one of these personal illustrations he was using. Imagine people say anything to a minister, don't they? I hope that person's not listening. Some Christians are great at working out in the gym, that they are disciplined, but they're not all that great at working out the spiritual disciplines in their lives. Reading our Bibles and praying every day, the simple basic stuff. Listening to God's Word on Sundays and in our small groups. To understand what it means, what it looks like to live lives of sacrificial service for the sake of others in the gospel. So when we read our Bibles every day, when we go to our small groups, when we really listen, when we listen on Sundays, we just grow in our understanding of what it means to have Christ-like minds. And we just do it. Work out your salvation. Work out this mindset with fear and trembling. Strange words. I think that means don't be casual. A healthy body matters. A healthy spiritual body matters. Why does it matter? Because it's a holy God who is saying this to us. Because Jesus is our Lord. And because the number one place on earth that you see the wisdom of God manifest, shining like a star in a dark world, is a local church. So it matters that we work out that mindset of Christ for the local church to be like that. Just at the point when we might forget that we are to work out what God has put in, just at that point, Paul reminds us again that as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good uh, pleasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm desperate to get to the practical examples of what this looks like with Timothy and Epaphroditus. We'll get there in a minute. But before we get there, Paul has something even more, more down to earth to say, let me just remind you of his logic so you're still with us. We are to be as one, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That happens when we have the mindset of Christ, all of us, a selfless, sacrificial attitude 
to one another in this room and across the church for the sake of the gospel. We have that mindset, but we've got to work it out. Okay? So now you're ready. And now I'm ready to put aside any selfishness and look to the interests of others. Now I want to serve you. I want to love you. It's already happening, but we're going to keep on doing it and more. Remember, it's costly. Let me bring the cost back in, and there is suffering. To live your life serving others is costly personally. To suffer as a church is costly personally and corporately. Advancing the gospel is never without opposition. And before we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul says this. And let me say to you that these verses, before we get to Timothy and Epaphroditus, how much we need them. When you're at the front line of gospel work, and every local church is at the front line, when you are putting into practice the mindset of Christ, and maybe others around you are not so zealous as you are at serving you as you are serving them, then what is likely to happen? Grumbling or questioning, or arguing. So Paul says, right up here, right at this point, do all things without grumbling or questioning, so that you may be. How do you become blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in a crooked world? Well, here in this letter, at this point, don't grumble. Don't grumble in the church. Don't grumble about what you are doing to serve or what others are not doing to serve. Don't grumble. Don't fall out. Number two, hold fast to the word of life. Number three, even if I am poured out as a drink offering. In other words, his death, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Even in suffering, be glad and rejoice. Now, I think these are absolutely on the button. I think when you are striving with a servant heart, willing to sacrifice for others, suffering for the sake of the gospel, in a church, and as a church, you need to hear these gentle warnings, do nothing, grumbling or questioning, Hold on to the word of life. And even in difficulties, rejoice and be glad. Now, let's finish with the practical examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus. First Timothy, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Now, just as we look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, it would be really silly if the Apostle Paul, having said all that he said, is going to hold up before us two examples that we cannot ever be like. He's not doing that. They are exactly who we can be like. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. 
and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come. Timothy, here's the key verse. Timothy, genuinely concerned for your welfare. As a practical example in the life of the church of suffering service for the sake of others, Timothy, genuinely concerned for your welfare. So you, genuinely concerned for their welfare. Then Epaphroditus, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. The context here is that Epaphroditus took money from Philippi to Paul in prison. And he's sent back with this letter. Your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus, the key verse, I think, your messenger and minister to my need. Now, I think Paul gives us these two examples because of the nature of their serving and their attitude. Timothy served others as a leader teaching the Word of God. That's what Timothy did. Epaphroditus served others as someone who encouraged others and met their practical needs. Both served according to their gifts. Both were willing to serve where there was a need. Both were committed to sacrificial service at cost to themselves. Every one of us in Chalmers can imitate one of these two by teaching the Bible, if that is our gift, as it is for many, or like Epaphroditus, by encouraging others. That's what Paul means in Ephesians, by speaking the truth in love. Or by meeting people's practical needs. Teaching the Bible, encouraging others, loving people practically. That's a church. And so let's wrap up Paul's exhortation to us as a church. In one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's who we are to be. Chalmers Church, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Suffering and difficulties are inevitable. Those who have been here for a number of years know that. The next 10 years will be the same. It's always the case in a living gospel church. How are we to be united, to be as one? We are all, as individuals, to put into practice the mindset of Christ. It is a mindset we have, but we need to work it out as God works in us. That mindset is looking to the interests of others, sacrificial service for their sake. And as we put it into practice, we are not to argue or grumble. We are to hold fast to the word of life. We are to be glad and rejoice. Those of us gifted to teach, that's how we are to serve others. 
those of us gifted to attend to practical needs. That is how we are to serve others. All of us speaking the truth in love, encouraging one another. Nothing that Paul says is beyond us. This is who we are in Christ. So let's keep working it out. And at the football tomorrow night, you can dream of having the body and footballing mind of Ronaldo. But that's fantasy football. Having Christ, though, in us, his mind, that wonderful reality for every single Christian. And when Christians all through a church get this, it is exciting and costly and wonderful and scary, but the gospel advances, so it is worth it 10,000 times over. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this powerful and helpful letter. Our prayer is simply this, that across this church family, the mindset of Christ would be worked out in our lives. We pray, Lord, that we would look not simply to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We pray that we would serve one another selflessly, graciously, those of us who are set apart to teach, to teach, whether preachers, small group leaders, Sunday club leaders, all through the life of the church. Those who are gifted and have the opportunity to meet people's practical needs, doing so gladly for the sake of the gospel. All of us speaking the truth in love. All of us willing to go where the need is. No one on the fringes, no one on the sidelines, all embrace. So building up that church to be as one for the sake of the gospel. And when the difficulties come as they will, then that church will be strong, united with one another in sacrificial service and love. May the mindset of Jesus Christ that we have flow through the life, the veins, the arteries of this church for your glory and for the furtherance of the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.